Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is an international supermodel and jewelry designer, Nicole Trumfield. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Such a pleasure. You and your husband, Gary Clark Jr., are expecting baby number two like any minute. Any day now. It could happen here, <laughs> which would be a first for our podcast. <laughs> first baby on, on, on the podcast. And I only had the pleasure of meeting you a couple of weeks ago. Recently, yeah. And you have this great energy, big energy, <laughs> and um, just a very positive. You're like a soulful supermodel. Well, it's funny that you say that because, you know, we're talking about New Year's resolutions at the moment and making them. And last year, my New Year's resolution was to retain a very positive state of mind and optimistic state of mind. Not not to not be negative or not think negative, to acknowledge the negative, but not let it control or um, you know, kind of make its way into my daily thoughts as That's much hard as it to used do. to. Well, it was a New Year's resolution and I feel a like a year I, ago. Yes, and I feel like I've I definitely acquired that skill now. And I feel great. Do you have to work at it still? Absolutely. I mean, I think we all have a little voice in the back of our minds and, you know, we all have, we're all defined by our experiences and that creates our perspective on life and on people and Mm -hmm. judgments and criticisms. And um, it's so prominent. I don't know where it comes from. It's something that maybe society and um, the commercial aspects of society have... um, kind of nurtured and so we've adopted Mm -hmm. as part of our makeup but I don't think it's natural Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I spent the last year what kind of negativity did you have before it wasn't I mean it wasn't negativity it was just always thinking you know when you think about a situation you can even think about it the glass half full or the glass half empty sure I think I tended to to go towards the glass half empty because, you know, who am I to deserve the full glass? Who am Uh I to deserve the best outcome? Who am I to deserve a God-given gift or the universe work for me instead of against me? It's like... You you know know, what? I just literally bought a uh, Powerball ticket. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I never buy lottery tickets. 
but it's like four hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah. And I I'm gonna change my th- I said I'm probably not gonna win, but now I'm gonna say who am I to not win the Powerball? Well, exactly. Thank you, Nicole. In the end of the day, we're all the same. We all have the same opportunities in life, and there's no reason why one person can thrive more than another. It just depends on our approach to life, really. Yeah. I definitely, I got the Jewy anxiety, so I always lean towards, like, this is going to, like, even when a letter comes in the mail, I'm like, this is probably going to be bad. And then <laughs> yeah. it's nothing, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you've created such a successful business, so subconsciously, you're doing something right and thanks. positive. You I'm know, trying my best. It's amazing. Um, where are you from originally? <laughs> I'm originally from Australia. Um, you grew the, up in Australia? I grew up in Australia, in the middle of Western Australia. Mm-hmm. I was born in Dubbo, which is kind of the hub of New South Wales, an inland town, and then spent most of my life in Meriden, which most people don't know where it is. No, I don't know Australia. where it is. Meriden. Mm-hmm. Do they have the koala bears? No. Not <laughs> the have... ones that you pet or look at. I mean the little caramel ones. <laughs> yes. Yes, caramel koala. <laughs> That's my knowledge of Australia. They do. And they Fredo have... Frog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Redskins <laughs> and Milkers, uh-huh. Tim Tams. Um, yeah, I grew up with mostly Aborigines. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 200 people in my town. Wow. It was mostly a farming town. It was a wheat, the wheat belt, wheat farmers, um, wheat, sheep. And then... Did you farm? Yes, we did. My family farmed. We had 200 acres wheat, and then we had sheep and rams. And then my dad moved us closer to the coast um, to have more opportunity for school when I was in grade four. Okay. And then I was scouted when I was 16, um, just before I turned 16, actually. And my whole life kind of changed from there. I I went into a competition, and then I won Supermodel of Australia, then Ford Supermodel of the World. I got a big contract. I had to move to New York. New York. (laughs) Oh, no, I thought maybe the Supermodel of the Galaxy. Oh, the Universe. The Universe. (laughs) But I had to move to New York when I was really young. That was part of the contract, which I wasn't really prepared for. I just thought it was kind of like a fun thing. Before all this happened, was modeling what you were planning to do? No, I absolutely was not Because you were milking sheep. No, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. I was a straight-A student, and I loved school a lot, and I loved debating. Oh, really? (laughs) So my goal was to be a lawyer. That was my goal, not a model. And then you were just scouted, like you weren't attempting to be found. Not at all. I I visited my sister. She was going to university in Perth, which is a big city in Western Australia. Sure, I've heard of that one. I got my tongue pierced on the first day I arrived, straight off the train. Wow. Um, and Welcome so I couldn't birth. speak, and I had a really <laughs> swollen tongue, and this woman was following me around. And my parents told me not to talk to strangers, and she was basically stalking me in a, in a really good way. I know her. To, I love her to this day, Christine Fox. And she scouted me. Um, she called my family. She actually knew exactly who I was because people spoke about me from my small town because I was you know, I, I guess I looked like a model. I was like lanky and tall and awkward. But, were you um, tall as a growing up as a kid in fourth grade? Yeah, yeah. You were taller than the others. Yeah, tall and skinny and lanky and awkward and super uncomfortable most of the time. <laughs> because you were stood out. Um, I just, I, I was just like a weird nerdy kid. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't think that I was like pretty or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um. 
And which you'd find most models actually have the same story. They, yeah. They blossom later on in life. And, right. You know, a lot of them are like teased and, you know, it's just It's not too late for in. me because I don't feel pretty, <laughs> but I might be blossoming later in life. I might be an <laughs> older model. Totally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she scouted me and my, my life just changed. But that, that, so that must have been challenging because I, you, I mean, how do you go from feeling awkward and nerdy to to presenting as a model? It was challenging because it was at the time of the elite scandal where John Casablancas was on the news about giving underage girls drugs and, oh. you know, all this sex corruption and um, just so much corruption. And I was like, wow, you know, I already get teased at school for being skinny and nerdy and way too smart. I used to be the girl that would hang out in the art room at lunchtime, you know. Um there's no way I'm going into this industry. Like, if girls are bitchy already at school, mm-hmm. it's going to be a million Even times worse. worse. Oh. And as soon as I gave it a go, my first introduction to it was that all the girls in the room were, had the same story as me. Oh, really? Yes. So that made you feel more comfortable. There was no, like, popular girl in school that was there. It was all, like, the weird, tall, skinny, lanky girls that just didn't fit in. I <laughs> and I was like, this is... Yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. <laughs> yeah, modeling's different. It's different than like those like sort of Miss USA kind of because those contestants start early, like yeah, grooming their parents groom them. I think their parents groom it. them. Yes, and, they and do they're these wealthy. Very early, they on. have the money to do it. Um, they're popular. They have social skills. Yeah, it's different. I think high fashion. Uh, they look more for edgy girls, um, girls with their own character and personalities, uniqueness. It's not so much about being objectively beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's more subjective. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's it's because it's art. Art. It's art. Yeah. So it's it's different. Uh-huh. Um, and then it just exploded. It exploded. Um, I moved to New York. Tom Ford casted me in the Gucci show when he was still designing for Gucci. Oh. And at that point in fa- in time in fashion, he was the most powerful man in fashion. Him, Karl Lagerfeld, um, a few others, but... He's in our house. we got a whole little collection of scents. Oh, really? Tom Ford. <laughs> I mean, I love him. I, I'm obsessed with him. But he you would choose one new girl to walk in the Gucci show per season, and everyone would watch who he chose, and he chose me. <laughs> oh, so that's like the modeling uh, Powerball. It was the Powerball, and my life changed overnight. Like, I got casted for every single show without even seeing any of the designers. One girl got kicked out of the list and they replaced it with me because I was considered the girl of the season at that point. I remember staying in a really horrible hotel in Milan, which I couldn't, I I had a single bed, didn't even have a phone to call, you know, my family. It was, it was like the worst hotel I've ever stayed in my life. (laughs) And I remember after I got I also shared with another girl. We had single beds. She wasn't even... I, we couldn't even speak to each other. She didn't understand English, and I didn't understand her language. And I remember after I got casted for that show, my driver said, OK, we're going back to the hotel now. And he drove me to a hotel that looked like a palace. And I was like, oh, is this the way it's meant to be? That's <laughs> quite different, huh? Quite different. And then my life changed overnight because of him. I'm very grateful. Is was it nerve wracking at first to get these big gigs, or did you just sink into it and enjoy it? I think I'm such a family girl, and I didn't want to leave 
my family. Um, I won this big contract. I didn't. I felt abandoned by my family because they were great. This is so great. You you have this opportunity. I felt abandoned by my school because I was such a dedicated student mm. and. I wanted my principal to tell me, no, you have to finish school. But in Australia, school is not as um, important as it is in America. Most people leave at age, grade 10 and they're, they're taught to work their way up in a company, sweep the floor, mm. because university students are too expensive to hire. Oh, really? So that's kind of like an Australian philosophy. In some parts, I'm generalizing here. But um, they, no one was holding me back, and that's all I wanted. I wanted someone to say, no, you can't go. <laughs> but my dad said to me. they supported you. They supported me. Which felt like and my abandonment. Dad, it, in a way, my dad's Italian, and he said, you have a good head on your shoulders, and I trust you. Mm-hmm. Which for, as a parent, my dad was such an incredible parent because he gave me the tools for moving to New York at age 16 by myself from the bush in Australia and doing the right thing. Instead of scaring me and saying, do you remember we watched that special on on John Cusser or whatever his name is mm-hmm. from the elite scandal and don't take drugs and don't listen to people and not... Instead of scaring me, he said, you have a good head on your shoulders. I trust you. You're going to be fine. Gosh, I hope I have that strength with my kids. You know, and <laughs> yeah, and then, then I did. It was like... It was the best lesson, I think, for a parent. Even, you know, when I was a kid growing up, I really wanted to ride horses. Mm-hmm. But my dad wouldn't let me ride horses. He would only let me ride dirt bikes. Oh, really? Why? <laughs> because a horse have, has a mind of its own, uh-huh. and he trusted me. I see. So So you control the bike, but not exactly. necessarily the horse. So it taught me how to... It taught me that I was in control of my own, myself, my being. Yeah. In every situation. And so it's these lessons that, and they've stuck with me my entire life. So I wasn't scared. I was just sad because I was lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like living in New York. Your and, family's still in Australia? Yeah. I and see. I was young. and So I, I had a really successful career, and I, I, I credit that to Tom Ford, but I credit that to... For me, it was like, if I'm going to be on the other side of the world, away from my family, I'm going to make it worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's why that I worked so like hard. seems like your personality. Yeah. It was like, I'm not going to go partying. I'm not going to spend my money on clothes. I'm going to buy properties. I'm going to spend my money on going to school, which is what I did in New York. I went to the new school while I was flying around the world. Um, I just, I was curious, and I just spent my money on... My businesses, learning, things that um, really nurtured the soul. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool that you, t- you took your career. In, and I see that sometimes I have uh, professional athletes that I work with. And some of them are just focused on the sport and nothing else. And some of them realize I'm going to take the money I'm earning now and start businesses or invest in things. And, and they really they have a second career as soon as they come out. Yeah. Um, and you're, you have a jewelry line. I have a jewelry line, yeah. I have Earth. Uh, Earth. E-R-T-H, yep. It's it's only a year old and it's doing incredibly well. I have another business which I've been working on for 13 years. 13 years? Yes. I have just been holding on to it for okay. so long, but we're going to launch it. Are we it. almost there? <laughs> we are. I just, it's, it's becoming more and more relevant. Okay. 13 years ago it was 
everyone thought it was just an impossible idea, and now it's like, oh yeah, we can do that now. Can you say what it is? No. Okay. <laughs> well, suspense. I can say that. <laughs> and we definitely um, have to have you back. Actually, no, I'm not going to say what it is, but hopefully <laughs> we'll be launching it at the end of this year or next year. Okay. I'm not in a rush to launch that that company. That's my baby. It's everything to me. And then Another I'm also baby. writing a book at the moment, and I, I I dabble in a lot of different things right now because I just I have so like it it all fits into one master plan. But yeah. it's nothing's new. It's all things that I've wanted for a really long time, and I've been really focused on. Yeah, it's, yeah. I have a lot of ideas, but I don't do them. It's really cool <laughs> to see somebody like really do them. You should do them. Well, I do some of them. I'm doing this one. Yeah, I think you do them. I do some. I just have a lot of... I, I can't stop. My brain comes up with a new idea every day. And I'm like, shh, quiet down. Yeah, well, then you just have to sort which are the important ones and which not. Yes, it's true. First things first. Like David Lynch calls it catching the big fish when he talks about transcendental meditation. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah. Yeah. I meditate. Yeah, so there's a book that he wrote called Catching the Big Fish. And it's all about... Finding those important ideas. Well, now you've inspired me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I uh, where? How did you meet your husband? Uh, I met my husband because my dad's a musician, and at one point, I thought that I wanted to be in a band. Wait, you came from a town of 200 people and your dad was a musician? My dad was a musician. He played in a cover band, okay. which I was unaware of. Oh, really? So when I moved to the, the town closer to the ocean where my dad sent us for more opportunity, yes, I, you know, the Doors, the Eagles, the Beatles would come on the radio and I would be like, that's my dad's band. And they're like, <laughs> no, that's not your dad's band. That's so funny. That is Jim Morrison. Um, and I was like, no, 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 that's my dad's band. That's my dad. Uh, so I had no idea. I didn't even know who Nicole Kidman was when, when I left Australia. I was very, very naive. You were sheltered. Sheltered. Um, and yeah, so my dad was a musician. I My dad got very sick with cancer. Mm years ago and I dedicated my life I was like I'm just gonna do I'm so passionate about music I love it so so much and um, my husband's manager is a really good friend of ours and he loved the music that I was doing and he wanted to help me and we did a we did one show at Milk during Fashion Week you were singing I was singing I wrote all the music everything did you play? yes I did until I met my husband um, you played piano Piano, guitar. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, we did a show, and people came up to me after the show thanking me. And I was like, wow, you don't get this in modeling. People don't thank you for <laughs> making them hate themselves kind of thing, you know? <laughs> it's like I really felt like I connected because that's my spirit. I yeah. love connecting with people and collaborating with people. That's what I was people. saying earlier. You're like a spiritual supermodel. I, I feel like people are my passion. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it hard being out. a model because... There's this barrier There's a between, wall. yeah, uh huh, and it's not who I am. Um, so I felt like I wanted to do this, and we were recording, and his manager Scooter was just, "You really got to meet Gary." This is how he talks. You guys would really get along. <laughs> and I know Scooter. Scooter went, yeah, yeah, you do. So Scooter, he does talk like Introduced that. us and Libby, and they thought we would just love each other and. 
they kind of said that he was asking about me and told him that I was asking about him and it, we <laughs> it weren't. Wasn't true. <laughs> it wasn't true. Ah, one of those. But we actually, there's no way we would have connected because we're so different mm-hmm. um, had they not, you know, pushed us together. And that's the great thing about friends introducing you because they know you so deeply. So the public persona is infiltrated by them already. So mm-hmm. the, our public personas, if we met in public, we would have never spoken. Oh, There's no yeah. way. He's introverted and shy. I'm Australian. I'm a little bit on the wild side. Mm-hmm. I just would have been like... Philopas is a trap. Not in this situation. No? I don't think so. No, it took us a long time to break through each other's shell. Um, and now we're just like, yes, we're opposites. We're total opposites, but we're so compatible. Mm-hmm. Um, they they definitely knew what they were doing when they were setting us up. Yeah, well, they knew you. They knew each of you more deeply than other people get to know you. Yeah, and probably probably better than we knew ourselves at that point. <laughs> How long were you together before you got married? Um, well, we've been together for almost six years. We've had our son for three, and we got married in April. Not last year now, because we're in 2018, but... Um, the year before, April 2016. So you were together three years and had a son? Well, like two. Two-ish. Two-ish. And got pregnant. We knew from the beginning, from the first six months, that we wanted to get married and have kids. We just knew. I remember... That's really strong. It's really, really strong. I just remember... I've never felt that way about a person before, and I just remember... My my husband's black, I'm white. We're an interracial couple. I remember we t- we took a trip and we spoke about this. We're very conscious about being an interracial couple and we're very conscious about what that looks like to the rest of the world. And um, Does it, I mean, what does it look like to the rest of the world? Is it not changing? It depends on... Where you are. <laughs> the, the type of person. Like, you know, I respect religion very, very much. I respect culture very very much and race I think that people try and defend their own religion and culture and race so much instead of just saying well you can get another perspective from just listening to someone else's story mm-hmm. and just by accepting their culture and we can all live harmoniously and I really like I grew up with Aborigines I'm Italian I was judged so much and um, teased at school for being Italian. You know, Italian. You're not Australian, you're Italian. Okay. Oh, really? I was born here, but okay. Yeah, my best friend's Eurasian. She got teased. Okay. Australia's a very, can be a very racist um, country in parts, as other countries are. I and mean, there are parts of every country, there are elements of every country exactly. that, are, that are very judgmental. Exactly. And I think I just want to abolish that. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, such an advocate for abolishing like differences being a negative thing mm-hmm. you know and my husband and I being together is an example of that and I don't know if you've ever seen a photo of our son but his beauty is he's gorgeous it's 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 um he's he's like gone viral this child because he's just so beautiful and yeah. he's so he's got this depth and wisdom about him and he's funny and you know people just they desire to see photos and videos of him. And I feel like it's very healing. Mm-hmm. It's healing that us as a conscious couple 
decided to have this child and now this child is touching people like that because he's a mixed race baby you know he's Australian American like two totally he's mixed he's got a lot of ingredients he's actually English Irish French Italian African Indian wow yes that's quite a dish and his name is Zion yeah, yeah. <laughs> heaven on earth utopia uh. so I'm just you know I, I two goals in my life or three to empower women and to unite women, to create a certain camaraderie between women that exists between men that I feel is lacking between women. That's one of my biggest goals in life, to open the conversation about, you know, normalizing breastfeeding, childbirth. That's where the book comes in. Um, To abolish any kind of racism, color, religious um, tension between people. I think those are really important things for me. Those are large tasks. Yeah, I, but it's not. It's not un. It's not hard. Like, and I've just learned. How do you do it? I mean, uh, by starting the conversation, like yeah. what you're doing now, is we did this um, summit in Los Angeles, or like the breastfeeding cover. Being bold oh, enough yeah. to just be authentic, you know. How did that come about? Was that your something you wanted to do? No, it was an accident. It was just part like I was working, and then my son was on set, and I had to feed him. So we just took some photos, and they sent me images to prove because there was one image where we were both naked, my son and I, but you couldn't see any private parts. Mm-hmm. It was like all covered, but you know they have to ask you if you want to, if you're okay with that being published. Mm-hmm. And the breastfeeding photo, which is also covered. And I was like, yep, that's fine. You know, thank you for sending those to me. Um, And then I woke up in the morning with tens of thousands of new Instagram followers. And I was like, what happened? (laughs) They published that. So the breastfeeding cover went viral. Um, There was a lot of discussion about it. It was um, something I didn't think twice about because in Australia, breastfeeding in public is supernatural. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Did it go viral in a positive way or negative way or both? Positive. 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 There were a few negative comments, but even recently I reposted it years later on my Instagram and the conversation is still so relevant. And for me, the thing that stood out the most was my husband is from Texas. Uh He's very conservative. Right. I'm from Australia. So I was breastfeeding in public when we had our son. And he was very uncomfortable with it. Really? And very upset with me. And so I kind of, it made me feel really uncomfortable because it's natural to me. I saw my aunties breastfeed, my mother, women around me in Australia. It wasn't a big deal. You know, I didn't just whip it out and I had my way about me. I, I had sure. like a, a swaddle or my jacket or I'd wear appropriate clothes. I wouldn't just be vulgar about it. Right. But if you have to feed your child, then you should be able to. And then I think it was a really great thing for us as a couple because he saw how many people needed to acknowledge this subject and to start a conversation about it. But but this is this is something that comes up that people get upset about, especially in the breastfeeding community, which is that you're a model. Mm-hmm. You model lingerie sometimes, right. right? So, and there's billboards around. Why? Yeah. So, with like, models with lingerie. <laughs> it's just interesting that that doesn't bother him, or didn't at the time bother him. 
Yeah. But but breastfeeding does, and he's not alone. I think there's a you know most of the country is fine with lingerie modeling, yeah. but not breastfeeding. And I don't I don't understand. I mean, I think that he yeah he definitely doesn't he wouldn't be okay with me modeling nude or anything like that. Um, but, but like you said, even when you're breastfeeding, you're not. You're, you're not, not nude. You're not right. really exposed that much. Yeah, I think it's 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 a cultural thing. Like it's a yeah, it's it's somehow it's I don't even think it's sexualized as a lot of people say. I just think that it's not the discussion is not open about it. Right. You know, if you can talk about something openly, it makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. If something's not spoken about correctly, if it's not addressed, mm-hmm. then it's gray. It's a gray zone, and I think breastfeeding is a gray zone. Mm-hmm. Breastfeeding in public is a gray zone. Um, and That's I think it just needs like, to be spoken about. Pretty much everyone about. does it. Yeah. We do, we do it as babies. We do it as parents, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's dangerous. All the other animals do it. Yeah. I think it's dangerous to feel anxious if you're breastfeeding your child in public because that energy flows through to your your oh, child, true. baby, yeah, and I. Uh, lots of the moms that come into the office would feel comfortable for themselves, right? It's not that they feel uncomfortable feeding their child in public because of whatever might get exposed. They feel uncomfortable because of the judgment. The judgment, yeah, and the the, the gray area around it. Yeah. I'm not a controversial person at all. I I really try not to be controversial, but I do think that feeding your child is a gift. It's it's life giving. It's a blessing. A lot of women can't do it. And I don't think that there should be any criticism around that. Mm-hmm. I think it should be spoken about. I think it should be in the open. I think more people should really address it, even if it needs to be addressed by the government and the lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Because I think social media is doing a good job of addressing it because there are establishments where people are asked to leave or go to a bathroom to feed their baby. Yeah. And once that hits Twitter or Instagram, like the the masses come into those restaurants or eateries and and they realize we we can't do this anymore. Yeah. So if somebody's uncomfortable having a person breastfed nearby them, then they don't have to choose to be there. But you don't have to – you can't kick out the person who's feeding their child, their hungry child. Right. I think in general people just need to really like self-reflect and stop being so – stop putting their own insecurities onto other situations. Because for me, when I'm not pregnant, when I'm not breastfeeding, it does seem weird. What does? Just the whole breastfeeding thing because I'm not in that state of mind. Right. Right? I'm, I'm, if I'm observing a woman doing it, yes, it's not where my head is at. I'm yeah. at a very different place in my life. Right. And I've even addressed that now. I'm like, oh, I can't even imagine breastfeeding right now because I don't have a baby. But when you have a baby, your whole institu- constitution changes. Mm-hmm. You become, they call it baby brain. You become so primitive and dedicated to the survival of this being that everything that you knew is no longer relevant and all that you know now is how to make this baby healthy and grow so people have to acknowledge that that is what's going on in that woman's body right now it's the hard wiring it's the it's the animal instinct that just exactly. says this is what i need to do now exactly and if people were conscious about that they would have respect that because that's a as you said, like a primal thing, like you can't mess with that. That's a really good point. That yeah. I think, especially men, have a hard time thinking about because we don't ever experience that the same way. 
and they never and you never will. And I grew up in a I grew up in a sheltered environment and when I came to California for the first time, I think it was within the first week I was here. We didn't have kids. I wasn't really doing prenatal stuff. Um, and I was in a coffee shop and a woman was wearing her baby and feeding the baby online and I just it I wasn't judgmental about it and feel one way or another about it, it was just a first. It was like, wow, that woman's out in public feeding her kid. And it just struck me as like, hmm, that's unusual. And then I realized, oh, everybody does it. Right. Around here. Right. I remember even laughing in my head because they asked me, she ordered coffee and they said, do you want milk with that? I'm like, oh, she should have brought her on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. I think we should take a quick break and we're going to come back and find out about your first birth. And then your pregnancy and upcoming birth. Stay tuned to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and we're continuing our candid conversation with supermodel Nicole Trumphia. Welcome back. Thank you. So you, uh, when you had your first baby, you said in the first six months, you knew you guys were going to have a baby together. Yes. And then it was a couple years later that you got pregnant. Yes. Did I, you... I actually had an ovarian cyst scare. And my mother had cancer of the cervix. Oh, really? And so did my sister. Both your parents had cancer? My my mother had cancer of the cervix, but they found it really, really early, so she had a hysterectomy. Okay. My sister had it very, they just removed part of her cervix, and she had three kids after that. Oh. But I was very, very scared because, you know, yeah, it's in family my family. Mm-hmm. And so I told my husband I really wanted to have a baby, and we we tried to have a baby. I had a miscarriage the first time, which is super normal. Yeah. As I Did you later know it was discovered, normal? you didn't know at the time that it was normal. not at all, not at all. But um, as I started talking about it, which is something another thing that women don't talk about enough, mm-hmm. I I found out that it was just so common, and every woman has one, and it's the body's way of preparing for a healthy pregnancy in a way, and. You know, it's just it we, was. We did a whole episode on on miscarriage, and it felt so weird to do it. I was like, oh, I hope I'm not saying the wrong thing. I hope right. I'm, but everything's kind of the wrong thing, and everything's kind of the right thing. Right. It's like nobody talks about it, so somebody's going to be offended by whatever you say. Exactly. But it needs to be talked about. So just 
Absolutely. Throwing out conversation and trying to get the conversation rolling, I think, is the right thing no matter what you say. Right. And then also approaching it with the positivity and optimism as that's the body's that's that's a great thing because it's telling your body's saying that you can get pregnant, which is a positive, And it's the body's way of preparing for a healthy pregnancy. You don't want to have a pregnancy. You know, if your body's not, you know, pregnant and yes. you, you, you're going from adolescence to adulthood and then you just get pregnant, it's like, okay, where's the in-between where the body's learning how to get pregnant and creating the right cells and doing the right functions? Right. And also, if two, if two kids eat uh, something that's poisonous and only one of them throws up, <laughs> the healthier one is the one who's rejecting it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So there's there's that. And it's not just an analogy to make you feel better. The body really does sort out, you know, compatible versus not compatible yes. and things like that. And if we look at it like that, I think it's a, it's a much healthier way to look at it. Even with this pregnancy now, I fell pregnant the month before. Really? And I had a miscarriage. Yeah. The month before. Well, you had another miscarriage? Yeah. I ha- both, both pregnancies. You before. started. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, like early on, you're saying? Well, the first one, I'm not sure because I had to have the procedure done. Okay. But I also had to work. I was like flying to Australia for a really big job. It was super awkward for me. Oh, God. Um, very, very hard for my husband and I, both of us. And we didn't try to have Zion until much later. Well, like within a year, but later. This time around, I think it was... I, I just got my period maybe like two weeks later, you know. Um, so so it was early. a different situation. Yeah. But I, I look at it I look at it as the body preparing and I you know, I have a lot of people in my life that can't have children and so I just feel blessed that my body is able to even get pregnant and I think that's great. But um so yeah, we decided to have Zion. My dad got diagnosed with cancer. He was living with us in New York doing a clinical trial. And I'd just seen so many hospitals at this point. My dad had to have like a high-pec surgery. He was in intensive care in the ER. And I saw him with lots of tubes coming out of him. I fainted in the hospital. Oh, wow. um, I just, I was really put off hospitals. They, they, I had acquired a nervousness about them because of my dad. So I decided to have a home birth. <laughs> Be- but then you giggle. Purely because of that. Does that mean what, does that <laughs> does that giggle mean that like it's really not your nature home birth, but you were just so so averse to hospitals by that point? I didn't think about it like that. I thought about it um in terms of I'm very athletic, I'm very very healthy. I don't I'm not uh pussy when it comes to pain mm-hmm. at all. I'm a tomboy. I grew up on the in the bush. I just, to me, rationale was we're made to have babies. It's a natural thing. What do I need a hospital for? Okay. So, especially because I had that nervousness around uh, hospitals. And my sister, God bless her, she had a premature um, emergency C-section for her first baby. Mm. The second one, she had a home birth four hours, no tear. Oh, wow. And that's my sister. So I was like, right. same DNA. Yeah, you should be able to do that. You know, yeah, exactly. Is she tall? She's a little shorter than me. How we, tall are you? I'm 5'10 and okay. a half. She's maybe 5'8 and a half, 5'9. Um, she's, mm, we have different body types, though. Um, she's much skinnier, much more petite, a little bit more curvy than me. 
But yeah, I, I figured if she can do it, I can do it too. And um, it was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. The humber? <laughs> yes. I had such an easy pregnancy. I was flying all around the world. I was working up until I was shooting lingerie at five months. Oh, I was. Wow. I was pregnant lingerie. No, re- like not. You couldn't tell that you were pregnant at five at months. At five months, no. Wow. Um, I was working out. I was boxing up until the end. I flew to Aspen with my husband. He did a New Year's Eve gig there, and I had my son eleven days later. Wow. <laughs> yeah. At home. Yeah, but I would never do that this time. I don't know. I was, I'm an overachiever. I definitely, um, I'm definitely, I definitely do things differently than what's expected of me. Um, This time I'm taking a completely different route. The home birth, it wasn't because, you know, my son, anything bad happened with my son. My son was perfectly healthy, but I literally experienced everything that could go wrong with your body. Yes. And um, and then I had to have multiple surgeries afterwards. And it was a joke. My midwife, she delivered, like, she was the best oldest midwife in Austin. She delivered breech babies. She was a renegade midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching all of the Una Mae Gaskin and Ricky Lake. And you, were, you were into it 100%. Yeah, I was going for that. And that's that's another thing with, with knowledge is you can you can opt for a certain type of knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, you can watch or read things that are, that are geared to a certain direction. Sure. Which is what my book is not going to do. It's going to put it out how it is. It's going to give you very real versions of both. It's not going to sway you in any direction. So your your book is based on your birth experience and everything that followed? Yeah, my, my book is based on everything that happened to me because, first of all, it, it is a page turner in mm-hmm. itself without being a uh, book about pregnancy and information. Just the story is crazy. Right. Um, plus, it's got information that I think women need, information that people don't talk about. It's got neutral information. It's got information from other women, doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths, um, people in that kind of thing. It's, it's just a kind of, it's a book that we need. Well, and I mean, it's interesting because I was talking to you earlier and and you, you're you not anti-home birth by I'm any not. means, even I, though you didn't like your experience and you've clearly opted to have a hospital birth this time. Yeah, but um, but you're almost like we are. You're just into information. Like you can't. I guess it sounds like what you're saying is you can't only look at these rosy um, pictures of of your choice, and right. then, and then convince yourself into it because you think it always goes amazingly well. Right. So it's it's counterbalance. It's important to have um, to have real stories. Yes. That maybe didn't go as well. Yeah. And I think that's true no matter where you give birth, at home, at the hospital, at the birthing center. Um, you sort of have to look at the ups and downs of all of them yeah. and make a choice, not just look at how great. You know, when we when we do informed consent, we always have to tell you the pros and cons of what we do, and then you choose. If we only give you the pros, you're going to choose it every time. Right, exactly. But it's not realistic. No. And in order for you to make a true informed decision and empowered choice, you have to know the ups and downs. 
You do, and especially with something like childbirth, because it's one of the most difficult things you'll go through in your life. And there's no practice. Mm -hmm. There's no knowing about how it's going to feel or what's going to happen. And everything is so different in every unique circumstance. So you really have to have someone that's going to be authentic with you tell you, this is how it is, you know. This is all the different ways that it could go. Yeah. And these are all the things that you really need to consider. Um, you know, I went to Cedars. I, I took the tour the other day. And, and, you know, a part of me was like, wow, I really wish I had a great home birth because it's an indulgence to be in your house, to have a baby. If you have the right um, people around you with the right equipment and um, you're informed. And a little look. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read your book actually. I, I just um I I like the reason we have people come on and talk about their birth experiences to offer because like you said you can't experience it as a trial run. There's no trial run. No. The trial run is your first birth. Yeah. And so to the extent that you can get information and just hear how it goes for other people, it at least gives you something that you can grip onto or or imagine. I it, it's like you kind of walk into a test that you can't really prepare for. So it's exactly. scary. It's the fear of the unknown. And you also need support of a lot of people. Yeah. You can't do it by yourself. I basically did it by myself. Um I had every single thing that could go wrong possibly go wrong. And I remember when I just fainted after getting an antibiotic shot in my butt after not eating for like two weeks after giving birth, mm-hmm. <laughs> crawling back to my bed on hands and knees, I asked my midwife, is there anything else that can happen to me? And mm-hmm. she said, no, you've hit all of the big ones. And she was wrong. Oh, no. She was wrong. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and you're still so cheerful, by the way, being this pregnant and about to do it again. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I actually went down the this, the route of suing a couple of the doctors involved mm-hmm. because that's what any sane person would do in my situation. And I felt very, very uncomfortable because I was in Texas and... The lawyer was a man and he was conservative and I was showing him photos and a lot of people know who my husband is and I know that when you approach a legal um, case, it becomes public knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I was very, very aware that the press could grab some of that knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so I just started, the lawyer wanted me to write a journal, like a diary of events. And as I was writing this journal, I, I started laughing. Maybe it's my way of defense mechanism, but I just, this story is just so crazy. It's funny because it's like, this is not, it's not, it's impossible that this could have happened to this girl. Even my midwife was like, you need to make a movie about this because it was just, it was so crazy what happened. And I started finding the humor in it. And that was very healing for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm not the kind of person that would sue anyone. It's not in my nature. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in it. I don't like it. And I was like, this is not me. I don't want to embarrass my family. I don't want personal photos to be out there. So I'm going to heal through writing. And that's what I've been well, doing. That's how the book came And the came book's, out. yeah, it's it's done. We're going through editing now. And, and it's been a, an amazing experience for me. The last part is the hospital part, you know. It's been a completely different pregnancy this time. I've been very, very sick. 
I've been in hospital three times. For nausea and vomiting? Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I lost vision in one side of my what? face. I, my whole hand went numb. My whole one side of my face went numb. For how long? When I was driving, was uh, like a good 40 minutes on three different occasions. No kidding. Did they figure out the source of that was? Well, I called the hospital the last time it happened because it happened when I was driving home. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop on the side of the road. Thank God my friends were behind me. And my friend's husband came out and drove my car and drove me home. Nice. So I called the hospital and explained to them my symptoms, and they said those are symptoms of a stroke. Right. I mean, yeah, and they were like, we're going to send you an ambulance. And I'm like, there's no way I'm getting an ambulance. How embarrassing. So they were like, well, you can choose to drive, but if, you know, your life is in... Potentially in danger. Yeah. So my, my friend's husband drove me to the hospital, and I was in there for a while, and they said that... This pregnancy has brought on migraines. They said it could be migraines. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't had one since. That was like the first trimester was really, really difficult. I was very sick. Now you're at the end. You're How many I'm weeks are you now? And I've been feeling horrible until I saw you. <laughs> oh, you're back. So for the past two weeks, um, I've been seeing Dr. Berlin and... I've never felt better. I'm so glad. <laughs> I feel like I can do anything right you now. You have a lot more babies. Yeah, I'm like about to give birth and I just You're the do now. The world. Yeah. Like this do baby now. can come right here. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this time you decided to have your baby at the hospital. Yes. You don't have a doula. I don't. I just know the last time it was so traumatic for me. And my husband and everyone around us, like, it was not normal at all. Mm-hmm. I want to make it as comfortable for everyone and for myself as possible. So I've opted to just go the complete opposite route. If I need to have an epidural, great, do it straight away. I'm mm-hmm. not going to try and be a superwoman this time. I just think that that was stupid, what I did last time. And um, if I need to have a C-section, great, you know. Whatever's healthy for my baby and for me, I'm fine with. Because in the end of the day, that's that's the most important thing. And I'm having my baby with Dr. Crane. Mm-hmm. I trust him. He knows my story. He saw me before I had my son. He saw me after. He was he saw me throughout all of everything. He was going to testify in court for me as well because mm-hmm. he saw me through like periodically through this whole situation. Um and. I just trust him. I think that he's been around the block. He, yeah, he's really good at what he does. Yeah, you know? and he's still he's he's been practicing for a long time obstetrics, and he's still like giant heart about it. He's very very passionate about it. I mean, I feel like most people over time just burn out, and he's he's he hasn't. He, he's passionate. He's like you. You guys are very similar in a way because we were talking about this. Um, you know. Dr. Berlin, my first appointment with him, he was available on Christmas Day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I had nothing else to I mean, do. I, was... I mean, you know, or like, or whenever, <laughs> on a Sunday. Yeah, he's just, we do Sundays. You just love what you do. And then Dr. Crane is, I called him when I was having one of those episodes where my hand went numb. Yeah. It was the first episode, actually. I was throwing up. I was, I was throwing up and I was a mess. And I called him and he said, I'll meet you in my office in 15 minutes on Sunday on Father's Day. That's incredible. And I said, thank you so much. I was actually doing a photo shoot that day and the photographer took me. But I said, thank you so much for doing this. And he's like, 
I have the best job in the world. What's more special than like looking at this baby and bringing beautiful babies into Helping this world? Helping people out, yeah. You know. they, uh, we have an episode of our podcast called Labor Day Surprises. And uh-huh. uh, in there, we had a mom go find out her baby was breech. And she really wanted to meet him, but it was Labor Day weekend so she had scheduled an appointment for later that week tuesday or wednesday but woke up at two o'clock in the morning with her water broken having contractions having this breech baby her doctor didn't do breech birth she didn't have really any choices and just sort of to see like literally buying a lottery ticket let's call his answering service and see if there's a possibility, and he got up in the middle of the night, called her back. He said, look, I, I have to see if you're a good candidate for breech birth, so I'll meet you at my office on Labor Day morning at, like, 3 a.m. Right. And then went on to deliver her breech baby later that morning. So yeah. it's uh, they, they don't really make doctors like that anymore. No. The model's not set up for it anymore. <laughs> it's medicine's changed a lot. So I'm glad you're in really good nurturing hands. Yeah. And, I feel um, very blessed. I feel blessed to have you and to have him and yeah, like supporting. Oh well, yeah, this. you might if you call at two thirty in the morning. <laughs> I'll come running too. We've, I have a great. I think that a lot of women also neglect the postpartum, which is really really important. Um, uh, I have a great postpartum doula, an Ayurvedic one, and I had one in Austin too when I had my baby there, and that was my savior. And Ayurveda, the Vedas. They believe in binding the stomach after birth. Oh, yeah. Because you're so full of air, vata energy. Mm-hmm. Vata, pitta, kapha. Pitta is fire, vata is air, and kapha is earth. And we're all made up of those three, and we have um, two dominant ones. But after you give birth, your your body is very vata. And so you need to ground it again. And they believe in binding the waste. Mm. The same way the Kardashians bind their waists with the, you know, the the corsets mm-hmm. that sculpt the body, which yeah. have become like super, super famous now. Um, and it's kind of the same thing, but it's actually done for the health of the mother um, to get rid of that air energy and to help your womb. The the Ayurveda um, cuisine, they cook, they they ease your body back into health with certain herbs and spices mm-hmm. that help the the womb to retract back. Those are two things that really, really, really helped me after. I just, I binded my waist with a um, kind of like a postnatal corset. I can't remember the name of the brand of the one that I got, but also the, the cooking, the Ayurvedic cooking, and then the Abhyanga which is massage, but it's not really massage. It's more about lymphatic mm-hmm. massage. Yeah, getting the flow with back. hot oils. Yeah, and and those three things, um, I have t- every day for two weeks straight. Well, that's amazing. Is such a great um, investment for your postpartum and your post um, natal body as well. That can be really rough transition. So very sometimes being proactive like that really. Even though you're investing, you save a lot compared to what could could cost you down the road if, yeah. you, if you haven't taken care of your mind and body and spirit. Yeah, and also just that binding. Like I, I binded my waist straight after I gave birth, and I kept it on 24 hours a day for maybe six weeks. Yeah, the moms that do that feel great. 
Yeah, and my some of my friends are like, how did you get your body back so quickly? I'm like, that's what I did. And it's a commitment that that really, really, really helped. It saved a lot of personal training sessions, which is going <laughs> to be see? more expensive. <laughs> is, um, how does Zion feel about shrinks, the... It was called Shrinks, actually. The, oh, Shrinks was the name of the... Uh, the wrap. The, it's like a Velcro thing that you just... Oh, look it up. Yeah, you can get it in black or nude or... There's a bunch of them. And then there's even um, s- services where they come do this, like ceremonial binding. Yeah, you can you can have that, too. How's um, Zion with the pregnancy? Is he excited? He's good. He was watching that movie, Boss Baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Forget <laughs> about the baby. Like, no, I don't want a baby sister. But now he's really, really excited. He sings to her. He gives her food. He, like, he's just so sweet. He's really excited. Would you, I mean, you're not giving birth at home. Do you want him to be at the birth? Um, no, I, I'm a very private person in general. Like, I'm, I'm, I like quietness. I don't really, I'm not like one for a big social event. Mm-hmm. So I just want to give birth. It would be great if my husband was there to hold my hand. You know, if something crazy happened and he couldn't be there, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's very, very busy, but I know that he will be there. He really wants to be there. Um, and then just a little party of whoever needs to be there, you know, and then quietness afterwards yeah sounds great (laughs) i don't want to have like a lot of people i'm not that kind of person you know yeah just want to enjoy that and really get to take that in and be present with my family well i um i hope you come back afterwards yes i would love to share the contrast about uh hopefully a strong contrast about how the (laughs) births went for you maybe i'll be the only woman in the world that had like a crazy crazy hospital birth too Uh, no i'm not (laughs) i'm not gonna let that happen to you um but also, you know, at that point, your book will be coming out, and maybe we can talk a little bit more, more yeah. in detail about the book. And um, and I can't wait to read it. Yeah, that would be great. Um, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. For sharing so it. openly, it's really cool to get to know you a little deeper. Yeah. Um, like I said at the beginning, you have you have a lot of spirituality coming out of you. It's always fun to just talk to you. Because um, <laughs> because you have interesting perspective and mellowness. That's the thing. Like I'm I'm gonna take. I already took one thing home, which is that I'm probably gonna win the Powerball now. Because why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I win the Powerball? Right. Um, but then number two is, and I'm gonna. I am. It's like the beginning of the year. I'm looking for things to self improve on. I'm yeah. gonna take your um, everything that you talked about. I'm gonna take not looking at the glass being half empty. Right. Why not? It could be helpful. Yeah. Um, and all of the social issues that you mentioned. Yes. Um, I grew up in a shelter, so a lot of those things are new for me. And um, I'm going to bring some guests on the podcast to really dig into each one of those topics. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the mellowness. You're just so mellow even when things are, are – inten- you're just even Chaotic. talking about your pregnancy. I'm like, <laughs> nausea, I'm vomiting. I think I might be having a stroke. I'm going to the hospital. And you're like, ah, that's a, you know, glass is half full. Totally. So. Yeah. Thanks a million for being here. Where can we find you online? Um, at Nick Trumfio, N-I-C-T-R-U-N-F-I-O is my Instagram. It's where I post a lot about um, just passion, mostly motherhood. Motherhood, um, female entrepreneurs, women that are trying to do both and trying to have it all. I'm just a big supporter and big advocate for women with heart.
That's really cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here. And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, send your suggestions to info at informedpregnancy.com. And visit us online for lots more pregnancy and parenting media at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn and my babies do. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash.